All right, by show of hands, who got a piece of candy? Who got one? That's it? Only like five of us? Oh, no. We got some work to do. We got some work to do as a church. Um, good morning. Uh, my name is Kurt Heineman. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and a warm welcome to you all this morning. If I have not met you before, I'm glad you're here and worshiping with us today. Today, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. This fall, we've been looking at and in a worship series on stewardship of time, talent, and treasure. We watched a documentary a few weeks ago called Godspeed, which was about stewarding the relationships in our lives and time. And now we're transitioning to looking at stewardship of our finances, our resources together. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians this week and next week, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And before I read the text for you, I just want to give you a little bit of context to the text. And there's a map up on the screen. The first few verses, the Apostle Paul talks about churches in Macedonia, which is a region, and maybe that would be unfamiliar to us. Um, but you can see at the very top of the map, uh, Thessalonica's there and Philippi are there. So those are two of the larger, well-known churches that are in Macedonia. So when you hear the Apostle Paul talk about Macedonia, think Philippi, think Thessalonica. And then you can see Corinth as you go down the, the peninsula of Greece. It's right there just to the west of Athens. That is where Corinth is. Sometimes I think it's helpful to see places before you hear letters that are written to a particular people in a particular place. So just have that map in mind as you hear the words from the Apostle Paul this morning. You can follow along on the screens in front of you, or you can open up the Pew Bible as well. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance 
between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just a little bit more added context to this, to this part of the letter of 2 Corinthians, which I didn't see as very obvious and clear when I was first reading it for the first time, but the saints that Paul is talking about is the church, the Jerusalem church. So the Macedonians, though they went through some kind of severe ordeal, some kind of affliction, they answer this call to be generous to the larger church, the Jerusalem church, and the saints, and they send back a great deal of some kind of resources and finances to them. They gave out of their means, they gave beyond their means back to the Jerusalem church, and now the Apostle Paul is saying, Corinthians, church in Corinth, you're eager. You have an eagerness for this. Will you match your eagerness with your actions? Will you match your eagerness with your actions? And so this is why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. Well, there's not why. There's a lot of things going on. But in the midst of this part of it, he's saying, let your actions match the intent of your heart and be as generous as you believe yourself to be. So act in a way that goes alongside your intent to, to help with what is happening in the Jerusalem church. The church had grown so much in the previous years that there was a greater need now. Uh, the Jerusalem church was taking care of the poor, the sick, the widow, and the orphan, and they had grown so much in the 20 years that had transpired since Jesus had died and was resurrected that they had a larger need. So as the gospel grew all throughout the Mediterranean, so they also needed to share together the resources to match the mission of what God was doing and what the Spirit was doing through the church. So Paul is saying, please, join the Macedonians. They have shown a good way. Match them and follow their way. And may your eagerness be matched by your intent and your actions. This fall, as a part of the strategic priorities of this church, uh, Katie and I are leading a class on stewardship at the church. It's uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. It's a nine-week-long video class, and there's about 15 or so people in it. Some people that aren't in our class, or not from our church, are part of the class too, just from the community. And it's about personal finance. A lot of the class is about personal finance and how to, how to do this well, how to steward the gifts that God has given to us well. And in the very last lesson, one of the things that Dave Ramsey talks a lot about is generosity. And he talks about generosity in the context of Sabbath. Now, I did not expect to learn a lot about Sabbath at a personal finance class, but I did. And he shared some things about Sabbath that I have never thought of that I think are beautiful. And I want to share a few insights with you about what he talked about. Um, Sabbath to me, and I think to all of us, we think of as just a day we know that we're supposed to rest. If we have some sense of the scriptures or the Christian story, we know that God said, work for six days, take one day to rest. And that's what I've always had in my mind, just a day of rest. But the more I have learned about Sabbath, the more I realize that it's not just empty and void of things, but it's actually filled with beautiful things too. 
starting on sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. There's worship, there's prayer, there's time with family, there's meals. And you prepare the meals in advance so you don't have to work to prepare the meals. You can just appreciate the people who are with you. It's actually a beautiful time filled with very good things that God has for you so that you can rest and be present to the people that are in your midst. And on Saturday night, at the close of Sabbath, there's a liturgical practice that Jewish people have been doing for thousands of years. It's called the Havdalah service. So the Havdalah is a Hebrew word for separate. In this small liturgical practice, family worship, you would separate out Sabbath from the next six days of the work week. And there's a variety of things that take place in the Havdalah service. You sing songs, you read scripture, you light candles, and there's one symbolic act that is really significant, and I want to do it for you now. Every Saturday night during the Havdalah service, people gather around for family worship, and they take a pitcher filled with wine, and they pour it into a cup, And they very intentionally allow the cup to be spill over, to go over the cup onto the plate underneath it below. It's a very beautiful symbolic act, and what it symbolizes is the separation between the Sabbath and the next six days of our life. And what it forms in people doing the symbolic act is a theology of work of what the next six days of their life is supposed to be symbolizing for them. That in the next six days of life, God the creator, the creator of the vine, the one who gives us all the blessings and fruit that we need in this life to take care of ourselves, symbolized by the cup, but beyond that, a theology of work that would pour over, that would spill over, that there would be enough abundance in our lives that we wouldn't need to keep it all for ourselves that work wouldn't just be for our own self to fill our cup, but it would spill over, that there would be an intentional spilling over. And in this way, in symbolizing this and doing this on a weekly basis, it forms a ritual of generosity in people. Building in, this is the generosity, that God's not just going to take care of myself. God will do this, and, but God will also allow through me to be generous so that there would be pour over, there would be intentional spillover in life. And so this small worship and liturgical act, I think, is actually very profound. That on a weekly basis, you could imagine that seeing generosity and forming a theology of work is being critical for a person's formation and how we think about ourselves and what we do for six days a week. Now, many of us work five days a week, but, you know, this is what we should have as a picture in our minds for theology of work, that God creates the vine, we create the wine. It is filled into the cup, but there's spillover, there's pour over. God wants us to be generous in this way. God wants us to be profoundly generous this way. Paul knows this. Paul sees this generosity in the Macedonians. Paul sees not just this generosity, but says, but even maybe the Macedonians took the cup and poured it out. He said, look at the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi. They went through some kind of severe ordeal, Corinth, 
And they decided to be incredibly generous to the Jerusalem church. They are living a life of generosity, and I want you to be generous as well. And here's why he says he wants them to be generous. This is verse 9. It says this, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Isn't that beautiful? I like this idea of a theology of work, but what I like about this symbol even that much more so is at the heart of God, at the heart of the triune God, is self-emptying love. If we are the baptismal font in the plate, God's outpour of love is incredible. Like Jesus is incredibly generous, brothers and sisters. That's what Paul is telling to them. Friends, at the heart of our God and the second person of the Trinity is incredible generosity. Jesus took on poverty, became poor so that we would be rich. Jesus emptied self so that we could be filled up and we are a part of that plate. So let's mimic Jesus in that way. Jesus is incredibly generous, so let's match Jesus' generosity. I mean, it's amazing to think about what Paul says here, actually, about the act of Jesus' generosity. The creator of the universe, the God of all things, has become a human and has become poor for our sakes so that we could be filled up, so that we could be rich. All the blessings and love and self-giving sacrifice given out for one of us. This is amazing. One of my favorite sayings of one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, he says this. He says, Jesus becomes what we are in order that we might become what he is. Jesus becomes what we are in order that we might become who Jesus is. Jesus is so generous. His whole way of life the triune God, self-giving love, is amazing. The generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. So Paul says, be like the Macedonian churches, Corinth. Be like them. Somehow they have captured this idea of how generous Jesus is, and I want you to be this generous as well. May your actions match your intent. Friends, I want you to know, too, that uh, our world needs more generosity. I think we all know that, matched by what Kristen was telling us, that there is a part of the human activity that wants to approach a bowl on Halloween <laughs> and take all the candy for ourselves. Uh, we live in a world that's very self-guided and wants to fill up our own cup, make our cup even larger or bigger or bigger or bigger, and keep filling and filling and filling. But our world requires more generosity because there's incredible need. There's an incredible need in this world. Um, there are so many, like in the first century times, orphans, widow, poor, sick, that need help. And if we build into our lives this kind of a theology of work, we can meet the needs, as the Apostle Paul says, for this world. We can be generous in the same kind of way that Jesus was generous for us, just a little bit more poor so that others could be filled up and be rich. This church is amazingly generous, I have to tell you. Uh, we are a very generous church community. This past week at session, uh, the spiritual leaders of this church, govern, the governing body of this church, 
we meet once a month in this past week, one of the things we talked about this last week was uh, continuing a discernment on how to best steward the gifts that Joanne Finch left to the church. Joanne Finch was a member of this church for a very long time, and she left her entire estate to the church, and we have been discerning how to best use this gift for a long time. And finally, after a year of discernment, a handful of leaders in the church decided how they wanted to do a double tithe of this money. The leaders of this church decided not just to give a tenth of that $1.1 million gift, but two tenths, 20% of that, to give away to the widows, to the poor, to the sick, to the orphans. And they thought about this for an entire year. Now, I want to tell you more details about it, but I'm, that's coming in a couple of weeks. But I just want to tell you that this church is woven into it a generosity. As a community, we follow this theology of generosity. It's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. We are a generous community. Now, we may be generous as a community, but I also think that a money talk in the church is can be very hard and strange and weird. But it can also be very freeing. Some people love talking about money in the church. They enjoy it very much. Um, but some people very much hate talking about money in the church too, okay? We know that both of these things exist at the same time. We also know this because, I don't know if any of you noticed this in the, this part of 2 Corinthians, but the Apostle Paul doesn't even mention money <laughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's like asking for money without saying the words money. He says, will you be generous like the Macedonians? But he doesn't say, will you give money to the Jerusalem church? Will you give money to partner with the saints? He himself even says, I can be more bold with you in a letter than I can be with you in person. So even the Apostle Paul has a reticence to talk about money. But what he says at the end, I think, is significant. And he says this. He says, but there should be a fair balance in the life of the church. And so long as we don't talk about money and our finances and how we steward them and care for them in this world, there will never be a fair balance with how we approach, how we approach an idea of generosity. And so to talk more about finances and talk more about money from a Christian perspective is to hopefully create a space that would have fair balance in the life of the church. I mean, if only Macedonia answered the call, but Corinth did not answer the call, something would be out of alignment there. Something would be missing. Some community would understand some part of God's heart, but the other community would not. It would be a challenge. I know that in our own church community, every year we look at the budget in March at our annual congregational meeting, and we look at statistics. And one of the statistics I've noticed for our congregation is that about um, 16 to 20 families carry half of the budget of the life of the church. And though it looks like this is a small church, this is actually a rather large church. Uh, women's retreat is this weekend, and many people are away on women's retreat, and there's about 300 to 350 giving units in the life of this congregation but 16 to 20 families carry the lion's share of the budget of the life of this church. There's a, there's a small minority of persons who have answered this call. So I think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't talk about finance and if we don't talk about stewarding our gifts and our money because it will feel like there is an imbalance, that some will carry the load more than others and it won't really feel fair. 
I have to tell you that hopefully by normalizing our money talk and talking a little bit more over the next few weeks about this, we'll be able to find, yes, Jesus is incredibly generous. Like, there is so much pour over in the life of Jesus. But for us, the pour over that we do in our own lives, in our own families, is the most joyous experience we can have when we talk about finances and money. If we keep it all to ourselves and hold it like this, that is, uh, that is not that fun. <laughs> the most fun experiences I've had, and I've talked to many of you that we've had, is when you give it away, is when you get to participate in caring for somebody else. The missions of this church, there are so many incredible ways that we can enjoy giving. There's a lot of joy in giving that we will experience together. And I say this, and also, you know, one of the challenges when we've been watching the Dave Ramsey videos is that Dave will give some examples about uh, what average purchase, like what the, what the average house is to buy in the United States of America. And you'll see these numbers pop up on the screen. Like, so take, for example, average house is $200,000 in the United States of America. <laughs> and everybody in the class just laughs, you know, because it's like outrageous compared to where we live. You know, this is the most expensive place in the world. I just read the statistics. This is the most expensive county in the country to raise children. Um, this is not an inexpensive place. So I think the pressures of that life makes us feel like we've got to hold on a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. Um, but we should open up our hands. We should open up our hands. And when we open it up, we'll experience incredible joy. We don't have Havdalah in our life. At least, I don't think any of you practice the Havdalah at your home, do you? You probably don't practice this at your home. But what we do have is Jesus. And Jesus' story is that story of overpouring, outflowing, self-giving love for each and every one of us. I've been thinking about this story from Acts chapter 10. Maybe you know this story. It's about Cornelius, a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort, and Peter. Cornelius has this dream while he's in Caesarea uh, that he should go to Hoppe. And so he sends three of his people along to Hoppe. He, he meets God in a dream, and he goes, and, and these three people go to Hoppe. And they get there, and they meet Peter. Peter's also had a vision. Peter's had a vision of some strange, weird animal, and then God tells him to kill the animal and eat it. But Peter says to God, no, God, I can't do that. I am Jewish. I'm devout. I can't eat that animal. The animal is unclean. Uh, so in the midst of this dialogue, and the people show up in Hoppe, Cornelius comes to, they meet, Peter and Cornelius meet, and all of a sudden Peter begins to see that Cornelius is a devout follower of God. So Peter tells Cornelius all the good news, tells him the whole gospel story, and then in the midst of them having this conversation and dialogue, the Holy Spirit pours out on top of all of them. The Holy Spirit pours out on top of all of them, and Peter realizes that his vision wasn't about an animal. His vision was that the outpouring love of God would not be held to the bounds that were given to him prior. There is no unclean person in the eyes of God. All can be baptized so long as they profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The outpouring love of God will fill that font and fill our lives. Jesus is generous. The generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ was to become poor so that we might become rich in all manners of ways. Jesus is generous. So may our hearts and our lives be generous as well as we follow Jesus Christ in this life. Join me in prayer.
God, we are thankful that Jesus is generous. What an amazing gift, God, that we can call you generous. For there have been times in human history where people have worshipped gods who would force us, would require us to give all that we have to you. But you show a way of grace and love and self-giving sacrifice. And you invite us to participate in that as a response. You invite us to respond with love and generosity in the way that you have been generous to us. You don't force us. You don't um, push us into a way of being. You invite us through grace and love and generosity to participate in your very heart and your life. So Lord, lead us into a way of generosity and may your spirit come to be a part of this worship series as we consider all that it might mean to steward the gifts and the talents and the time and the treasure that you have for each and every one of us. Bless us in this season of learning, Lord. And we also pray blessings upon the women at Women's Retreat. We know that you're there with them, God, and that your spirit has poured over upon them as well this weekend. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may you rise and body your spirit as we continue to worship. Let's sing.